0: Everybody's so excited to be back in class and hanging out. I'm glad to have you back. There's like a, you know, a smell in the air when students, there's just something different in the wind when, when you students are here. It's, it's just amazing. Um, it's good to see everybody. Just as a reminder, all of my contact info is on the back of the bulletin at the bottom. I really put that there so that you can have it. Add it to your phones. If you need anything, sometimes your car breaks down and you need somebody to come help you. I've had that, that, that happen last semester from one of you. I'm glad you had my number to call me. Do that kind of stuff. Also, any questions from the sermon or um, just stuff that you are struggling with, I love uh, to be able to, to sit and walk with you. In that so I really do put that there Um, not just to be awkward I promise I won't be too awkward just awkward enough Um, also on the back just a reminder go ahead and sign up for that barn dance it's $10 it's gonna be a lot of fun and all the proceeds go towards getting y'all to summer conference Um, so again submit some stuff for the silent auction that'll get you a little discount there Um, But yeah, so every week in RUF, we say that you are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Uh, And so what this means practically, functionally, is that we wanna be a place where all are welcome to come. Where, uh, because God's grace is for those who are believers, and, are, and his grace is for those who are doubters. He meets them. His grace is for those who are really struggling right now. Really walk or, or, or are really, you know, don't have it together. Who are running from God. Who are angry at God. Who are burned out at the, by the church. And it's for those who are really thriving. Who are walking as Christians on campus. Both are, are welcome here. So you may be here tonight and really questioning whether God is real or really wondering what the Bible actually says or confused about Christianity, and just know that you are totally welcome every time. Come here. Um, Maybe some of you wandered into this room tonight and you're overwhelmed, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're tired from the break, and you just really don't have a lot to give. Know that that's okay. I'm glad you're here. On the other hand, maybe some of you are just killing it. Maybe the fall, you just blew it out of the park. Uh, life is going exactly as you planned it. Well, know that God's grace for you is to remind you of your need for him. It's to uh, bring you back towards understanding that you rely on the grace of God every second of the day. Um, so you need to be reminded of this. So, because honestly, I think a lot of times we have this idea uh, that life is really just about how good we're doing. Life is about achievement. Um, It's about how good or bad you're doing at life. Like, that's what life's about. That's why we say phrases like this You know, I've got to make something of myself. Uh, I really need to get it together. Uh, Maybe you've made a New Year's resolution because you gotta better yourself. I mean, one of the reasons you're in college uh, is because you need a degree in order to one day get a job. And so what happens is you get this idea that in order for me to make something of my life, in order for me to have some sort of fulfillment, in order for me to even be worth being here, I need to prove it, I need to do this, I need to do that. Fill in the blank. I need to have this job so that I can make this amount of money. I need to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend so that I can hopefully one day be married and and have a successful family. I need to be the smartest. I need to be the best looking. I need to be the funniest. Like the list could go on and on and on because we believe that life is actually about what we do. And I'm here tonight to tell you that life is not about how you're performing. It's actually not even about your own individual fulfillment or just being happy. It's really not. It's not about finding the right job or the right calling or the right person. And I'm not saying all those things are bad, that you shouldn't pursue them, because they're good things but they are actually not what our lives are about. Here's what life is about. Belonging to God. Belonging to God. That is what it's about because every single person in this room, if you're here, you were created by God. And now you might believe that or you might not. And we can talk more about that. I would love to talk about that. Uh, But if you are here today sitting alive, it means that God decided to make you. Like you were in his head. Have y'all thought about that? He decided to create you. Every single one of you sitting here. So you don't have worth because of the value that you bring to your life such as your job or your relationships. You have worth cuz God made you. You have worth. You you have worth because you are his. And so if that is true, then that means your life belongs to him. Everything about it. How you live, what you think, where you go, what you do belongs not to yourself. Not so that you can measure up or, or so that you can have ful- fulfillment. No, all of it belongs to him. So essentially, this is why we're studying Ephesians this semester. Because we are striving to see how does belonging to God actually affect me? Does that actually make a difference for me right now, having that understanding? In other words, why is it actually worth your time to come here every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. and open up a Bible and study his word? Does having life in Jesus and studying his word, does it actually affect you? Does it really make a difference? Seriously, like ask yourself that. Because I think if we're really honest, it's nice to think about, you know, quote unquote being saved, right? One day you'll be in heaven. You've got your get out of free jo- get out of jail free card. You're, you know you'll you'll be in paradise. But is it really affecting you every day? Or even the Bible? I, I think if we're honest, does it really affect you all that much? If you if you know Scripture, if you don't, while you're in college, like think personally about your life. Does it really affect you? Could you survive this life just as well without it? Can't you get through college without knowing God's word, and still be just as successful? You know, like does it really make a difference, or is it just kind of you know, it's a it's a nice addition, it's a uh, extracurricular activity, it's a hobby. Like these are the questions you got to ask yourself. And here's what Paul wants us to see in Ephesians. This is why I think this book is so important is that the gospel affects everything. It affects everything. And it's affected every moment in all of history. It affects every single minute detail of your lives. It changes everything. And so that's what I really want us to ask tonight. How does the gospel really change everything? In other words, what do we really get by believing in Jesus? What does faith in Jesus really provide us with? How does it affect our lives? And so I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 1. And then we'll pray and just talk a little bit more. It's Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Dear God, we uh, desire uh, to be affected by you. We desire to be changed by you. We desire for your word uh, to shape us. And we cannot do that on our own. We can't do any of it on our own. So God, I ask that you meet us here tonight be with everyone in this room, wherever they're at, uh, and that you would um, attend to your word, that you would have it pierce our hearts, uh, that we would know you more, and we would walk in your ways. It's in Christ's name, amen. Uh, So if you were at the Christmas Eve service at Providence, I used this uh, illustration, so I apologize if you're hearing it again, but uh, a while back in 2007, there was a crowded subway station in the middle of one of the busiest parts of Washington, D.C. During, during rush hour. And so a young man with a violin, he entered in to a busy corner of the subway lobby. He opened his case. He pulled out his violin. He threw a, a couple bucks and some pocket change, uh, change uh, for seed money into his case. And then he began playing. And so around him, there were a couple people who politely listened, uh, and they briefly would throw their change into his case, Uh, but a majority of people just passed him by because, you know, it's rush hour, and they've got a lot of business to get done, especially in D.C. Uh, You know, the music's pretty, but they didn't have a lot of time to stop and listen. Now, this was actually no random musician. This violinist was the renowned classical musician Joshua Bell one of the greatest violinists in history. He's a prodigy. And so the Washington Post had asked Bell to conduct an experiment for them by seeing how context would shape people's perception. And so days before this event, Bell would sell an entire arena out uh, where people would pay hundreds of dollars just to be in the standing room only seats to listen to this person play. And yet in the subway lobby in Washington, D.C., Only a handful of people really took the time to even listen to this person. Greatness was right in front of them. And they had no idea. They had no clue what it was they were getting. And I think this is a little bit of the burden Paul has when he's writing this letter. He understands that our beliefs, they always shape how we live. Uh, for instance if you're if you're trying to get fit, um, perhaps you get up in the wee hours of the morning, start uh, running miles. Uh, this isn't something I would do. this is crazy. Um, you change up your diet, you only eat cabbage and uh, and salmon um, and protein bars, or uh, you go through you know excruciating workout regimens. Um, why? Because you have the belief that those things are going to get you fit, right? Your belief causes you to do things always. And you can really do this with anything. And so Paul, riding from prison to the church in Ephesus, wants to give them the cosmic scope of God's work. The large story. It's like he takes a camera lens and zooms way out. And, and gives the, the wide, huge, big picture of what God has done. Because he knows that what these people really need is not just these answers to whatever individual problem they have, whatever they're struggling with. Uh, what, the, what they really need is to understand the true story that they're a part of, to believe what God has really done because it shapes everything in their lives. And so for you today, Whatever you're going through and know that it's, it's important and it's hard, right? It's probably hard. It's probably important. And sometimes what you really need to do is reorient your perspective to the larger story that you're in, that you're a part of, that you belong to God. You need a God perspective about things rather than your own perspective or even any other person's perspective, even more than a parent's perspective, or a mentor, or a friend. You need need God's perspective. And so let's briefly, what what I wanna do is just look at three things that Paul points us to when it comes to this overall story. And ultimately, Paul is showing us what God has done in the past, what God is currently doing in the present, and what God does in the future. Uh, So look at verses three through six, and notice that all all these are verbs that are in the past tense. God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption. He has blessed us in the beloved. Now, notice for one, this can be a hard doctrine of election and predestination. Maybe it makes some of you uneasy. Uh, Potentially it's scary subject matter. Um, but notice, this isn't something that John Calvin or Reformed theologians just made up. That this is, this is actually in the Bible. <laughs> this is a biblical concept. So it's something to talk about. If, if we're studying Ephesians, we have to look at what it teaches. What is it actually teaching? Part of what we do here in RUF, this is one of our hearts in RUF, is we wanna know what the Bible says. So you don't have to necessarily agree with it, but we do wanna know what it says. So come here with your questions and let's open up his word and try to understand what it really is saying, what it really means, right? Uh, And I think um, one, really, um, first off, any of you who are struggling with anything the Bible is saying, Uh, it means you're wrestling with the Bible. That's part of reading his word. That's part of what we do. uh, That conflict shapes us. Uh, And if you agreed with every single little minute detail in the Bible all the time, then it means that maybe you aren't really reading it correctly because it should rub up against some of your beliefs sometimes because we believe it does shape us and it does change us. Um, also, I'm always here to talk. I don't ever wanna like say that I can't be approached or anything about anything. And I really do mean anything. So if you, if you ever have any questions or anything, please come to me and let's talk about that. Um, but I think one, one thing to really point out in this whole section is that the context is meant for these Ephesian people. Um, who were surrounded with all of these other pluralistic beliefs all over their culture. I mean, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was right there in Ephesus. And it was this giant temple that they would worship uh, this goddess named Diana. Uh, That was right there in their city. That was the main part of their city. Uh, And so they were constantly being tested, worn out by all sorts of various beliefs. Uh, It probably wasn't the easiest, most comfortable place to be a Christian. Um, maybe you can relate actually to that. In some ways, being at a a university with all different kinds of beliefs. Uh, And these words that Paul is saying are primarily to encourage them. They're not to attack them, not to put them down, not to confuse them, not to hurt them. Um, As an illustration, my son and daughter for Christmas, they got this uh, little mini kids trampoline I think some of you have been over at my house and seen them jumping on it. Uh, and one thing that we started doing when they would jump is me and my wife would start going, uh, chanting their names. Like, so like when we'd be like, go, win, go, go, win, go, go. Win. And so we would just do that over and over again. And he would just get like even more involved with it, right? <laughs> Almost to the point now that he doesn't even jump on the trampoline unless we are there chanting, go, win, go, while he does it, right? And so for this particular passage, for for this particular section, this is God's way of chanting to you as a Christian. And here's what he's saying. You see all this that's going on. Maybe you're struggling. Understand this. Do you know that I chose you before the foundation of the world? Not from anything you did or have done or will do. I chose you because I chose you before you even existed. Know that, keep going. I chose you even before the earth existed for the foundation of the world. I had you like you on, on my mind, go. Charles Spurgeon, uh, an old pastor, he, says it, he said it like this. I believe in the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I would never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born or else he would n- never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to myself for I never could find myself for why he should have looked upon me with a special love. Guys, know that if you are a Christian and you have faith in Jesus, it's because God picked you. (laughs) Now that doesn't take away the fact that you made a decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't. We believe in free will. But the reason you made a decision to follow Jesus is because he made a decision for you to follow him. Now, maybe you're thinking, how does that give me free will? How on earth does that give me free will? Well, in the Bible, we have kind of a skewed concept of what freedom is. Because in the Bible, the freedom, freedom means no longer being enslaved. That's what freedom is in the Bible. You are no longer enslaved, specifically to sin. So do you have free will? Yeah, you do. Absolutely, you do. And you will choose sin every single time. If not for God. For instance, if I put a salad and bacon at the end of my kitchen and I release my dog, he's gonna run to the bacon every single time and not even sniff the salad, right? For him to not get the bacon, I have to intervene. Another way of putting it is some people think of salvation as this concept of being in the ocean and Jesus is on a ship and with his hand, he stretches out to you and all you have to do is decide to just grab onto the hand and he's gonna pull you up, pulls you up every time. But in actuality, here's what the Bible, here's the picture the Bible paints of salvation is that you are at the bottom of the ocean, completely drowned, completely dead with seaweed in your lungs, full of water, dead. Ephesians 2, we'll study in a couple weeks, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And salvation comes through Jesus seeing you, swimming to the bottom of the sea, lifting you up without you even knowing and pulling you into the ship and breathing life into you. Now it wasn't for anything special about you. It's not that you were incredibly wise or good looking at the bottom of the sea that he chose you. For instance, hear what it says in Deuteronomy. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loves you. And that is so hard for us to grasp because we want to give him a reason to choose us right? You want to be attractive in some way. You want to have something, some reason that he chose you. But here's the reason. It's because he loved you. It's because he loves you. And again, stay with me because maybe some of you are wrestling with the fairness. Um, Maybe some of you are wrestling with maybe a fear. What if I'm not chosen? Right? And here's the question I have for you do you want to be chosen? Do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to be part of the church? Do you desire to be an adopted child of God? And as I just talked about my dog and his issue is not the freedom to pick the salad or the bacon. His issue was the desire to actually pick the salad. Wouldn't it make sense that if you have that desire, that potentially it's God drawing you to him? It's because God really does love you? Now, what does this understanding do for you? What does it do for us? How does it it make a difference? Having... This faith that God chose me before I could or couldn't do anything. Like, what is it? Well, I think what it does is it gives you tremendous security. Because it means you being a Christian is not based on any sort of scheme or craftiness or thought or action that you did. (laughs) It means that God 100% moved towards you. And He knew every heinous act you would ever commit. He knows every heinous act you will commit. And he knows every heinous act you are currently committing. And he loves you. That's amazing. If you really believed that secure love, this like forever love that you have, that it's not based on anything you have done or will do, how does that actually affect maybe the way that you relate to others? How does it affect the way you date? knowing that you have the love of the Father on you at all times? How does it affect the way that you work or the way that you relate to your other coworkers or your roommates? So moving on, uh, not only that, but if you look at verses seven through 12, we see that not only do we have security from God, the Father's work in the past, but we currently have forgiveness and redemption in the present through God, the Son Jesus and I'm I'm getting close to the end guys y'all stay with me um there's a writer named Brennan Manning who shares about his life he's a great writer I recommend books of his um but he shares about his life in one of his books and Brennan grew up uh with another guy named Ray and they were best friends they did everything together uh and they even enlisted in the army together and um They were in the war together. And uh, one night Brennan said in his memoir that they were sitting in a foxhole and a live grenade was thrown into the foxhole. And he said Ray looked at him and smiled and dove and jumped onto the grenade and saved him. And years later, he's thinking about this, uh, and he was still really close to his mom and, and he asked her, he was like, do you think Ray really loved me? And she pointed her finger at him and, he sa- and she said, what more could he have done to show you his love? He died for you so that you could be free, so that you could live. And a lot of times we go through life and we don't feel like we're forgiven. Maybe we know we're forgiven, but we don't really feel like it. Uh, we don't feel like Jesus redeemed us with his blood. And there's absolutely nothing more Jesus could have done. He accomplished everything. You are forgiven now and forever. Think of what this provides for you. All those things that you're still struggling with, still hurting with, still beating yourself up over. Whether it's from today 10 years ago, you are free and forgiven and redeemed through Jesus. Jesus paid for that. You are forgiven. And so finally, I'll close with this. Not only do we have the security of the father's work in the past, uh, freedom of the son's work in the present, but we also have a future hope because of the Spirit's work. Notice in the entirety of verses three through 14, the amount of times that Paul repeats in him. Actually, all 11 verses of this section in Greek is just one long run-on sentence. It's like Paul is just doing a filibuster, just a run-on sentence. Basically, it's like when you talk to one of those young kids and he's telling you a story, uh, and he's so excited about the story, and he goes, and this happened, and then this, and this, and this, but wait, and then this happened, and this, and this, and this. That's literally what Paul is doing right here. He, is, he can't stop talking. That's, it, that's what's happening. Now, how are you in Christ? Well, it's because the Spirit of God moves in you. And when it comes to what the Spirit does, know that it's not primarily moving in you to give you, you know, just these special abilities like a prophecy or speaking in tongues or miracles. Like, you know, sometimes we hear people who were overcome in the spirit, right? The primary purpose of what the spirit is doing in you is pointing you to what Jesus did, to what God has done in your redemption on the cross. And he's making it yours. You are in him. He's applying it to your life. Because when you get discouraged, when you are hurting, when you are believing the lie that your life is mainly about how you're doing and what you're achieving, you need the spirit to show you that you are in him. I learned today, actually just a couple hours ago, uh, that there were four people from a church in Memphis, Tennessee where I lived who died in a plane crash. One of them was one of my fraternity brothers. Another was um, a pastor at a really great church in, in Memphis. Um, another was really, he's, he's alive, but he's hurt really badly. Like, what do I do with that? What, what do we do with death? Death? And it's in those moments that I need the work of God's grace through the Spirit to point me and continue to show me where the story is headed. Where is it going? That Christ is making all things new and that God is at work. And I need him to gently tell me that I'm his. And he is mine. And as it says in Ephesians 1 to experience the riches of God's grace that he lavishes upon me right now. Where are you tonight? Like, where are you with all this? I pray that you experience the riches of his grace. Let's pray together. Dear God, um, your word um, says a lot. And sometimes it's, it, uh, we bite more than we can chew. I pray that you would uh, continue to form us, shape us through this time, um, that your spirit would work in us and that uh, we would hear what we need to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.